All right, we're going to get into the Word today. You're going to need a Bible. I say that every week. I mean it every week. Uh, the reason is because some of the things will be on the screen, but not all of them, because for me it's much more important that this is yours. There's Bibles on the table. You can take one, five, ten, a hundred. I don't care. We have plenty of them. Take it, keep it, write on it, whatever you want to do. If you have a Bible, awesome. If you don't and you've got, one on, got a phone, I guarantee you, you have access to one somewhere. And I want you to take his word home with you. So go to two places. Go ahead and get your thumb in there. One is Revelation 19. That's where we're going to be today. And the other is Thessalonians. Just get your finger on Thessalonians or put a bookmark in there or something because we're going to come back to it in a minute. Uh, but we're going to start in Revelation. But I'm giving you a heads up. You can go ahead and find it. Revelation, obviously, last book. Thessalonians is a few books prior to. And there's two Thessalonians, and we're going to need them both. So just get your finger in there anywhere. doesn't matter. Just giving you a heads up. Today we're talking about the second coming. So we've been talking about Christ from the beginning, if you've realized that. We've been doing this story of God since Genesis. And for almost two years, December will be, well, January will be two years. Almost two years of going through the Bible from from before Genesis, really, from before creation all the way through. And following who is God and what is he doing and what is man's relation to him and all of this. And I'm not going to go back into it all right now, but we've come, we'll, we'll get it next week for sure. But we've come now to the last kind of few pages of the Bible, the last um, moment, I guess, moments of history. And this being probably the most talked about, most fascinating one to Christians. Nothing's more fascinating to Christians than end times. Uh, even non-Christians argue about it. If you want to get a blue check mark by your name on social media, just start talking about end times. You know what I mean? Everybody wants to. If I'd gone Monday and started publishing that we we're going to talk about the second coming today, guarantee you there'd be a whole lot more people in here probably just to either see if I'm crazy or pick a fight or with their own ideas or whatever else. Um, I'm not hating on that, but I'm just saying Something about the way things are going to end always draws fascination. And the biggest question I think everybody really wants to know is when is it going to happen? Are we in the last days? And there's lots of arguments. I don't need to go into them all, but I'll give you a couple of things. 1936, Herbert W. Armstrong was the founder of the Worldwide Church of God, and he told his church that, the rapture was going to take place in 1936, and only they would be saved. Well, after that failed, he changed it three more times, 1943, 1945, and 1972. And here we are, 2023, and none of that stuff has happened. George Williams, he was the founder of the Church of the Firstborn. He predicted the second coming of Christ was going to occur on August 9th, 1969. 1976, Pat Robertson predicted that the end of the world would be in 1982. Chuck Smith was the founder of Calvary Chapel. He predicted that the generation of 1948 would be the last one and that the world would end by 1981. He came back and said, of course, I could be wrong. You know, uh, Seventh-day Adventist, Jehovah's Witness. I'm not hating these these people. I'm only saying they were birthed around... The prediction of the end and somebody trying to pinpoint a date. There have been numerous cults that have been started around that same thing. Let me back way up. Let's get way back closer to the source. In the 60s A.D., 
not 1960, 60s A.D., Peter told believers that the day will come like a thief. Second Peter 3.10, he wrote that. In 50 A.D., back up a little more, in 50 A.D., Paul told the church at Thessalonica, we'll look at it in a minute, the day will come like a thief in the night. And then you can back up to the 30s A.D., and Jesus said in Matthew 24, 36, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And verse 42 says, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. Like I said, some of these will show up, some of them won't. But what do you believe? What you believe about Jesus is crucial. And this is just me talking now. This is just my statement. I always give you like a road map to kind of keep your head on. What you believe about Jesus is crucial because he will come again, not to rescue, but to conquer and to judge. It's going to be a whole different thing. So where does this fit in the story of God? How's it going to happen? I don't have a, a lot near enough time to go into all the end time stuff, but basically most people fit, if not all people, relate what is believed to happen with Jesus coming back to a time period called the uh, millennium or the thousand year reign. It's in chapter 20 of Revelation. We're not going into that today, but everybody seems to fit into a category of believing that Jesus will come pre before that pre millennium or he will come post millennium, which would be after or a millennium, which means negative. That means there is no millennium. That's what those people would believe that that thousand year reign is figurative and then we're kind of in it right now. Among those people who are pre-mill, who think that God is coming before, or Jesus is coming before this millennial reign, among those people, there is a belief in a period of time known as a tribulation, and that there is going to be a rapture. Some among those people also believe in a rapture. And the reason I keep saying some among is because not everybody agrees on all this stuff, obviously. Uh, there is a truth. That truth is Jesus has come. Nobody debates that. Nobody debates that. When and exactly how is up for some debate. I've spent a fortune of time in Revelation and have taught it, as I've told you guys before. So I have opinions on this. I stand on certain sides of the fence, but I also don't go to war over certain things, and it's okay. Um, so I'm not going to lay into the rapture, but because we're talking about the second coming, and it may uh, be involved with that. Let's let's ask the question this way: Is it something God might do? Let's let's ask it that way. Rather than say He will, He won't. Rather than going to fight about it, let's say: Is that something that He might do? So let me give you some thoughts on this. Is it in His nature? Is it in His character to take people away um, prior to disaster on Earth? Well, has He done it before? He judged the world. In a great flood, the entire world. But what did he do before that? Rescued a family in an ark. He judged Sodom and Gomorrah by fire. But what did he do with his people before that? Sent angels that drug, go read it, they drug Lot out. Drug him out. Uh, Genesis 5.24 says, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. We don't got to dig in all here. We've already talked about this over a year ago. But just... Remember, 2 Kings 2, verse 1, 
when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind. Not digging in, just pointing out. Is it in his nature? Would he do something like that? Well, clearly he has before. And the word rapture comes from uh, harpazo, which means to catch up, to seize, to take away. And the people who claim and hold to it get it from First Thessalonians. So if you're in First Thessalonians, yank your finger. I said we're going to start in Revelation, but let's start there. Th- Thessalonians, First Thessalonians 4, 17 says this. And I'm giving you a lot of scripture today, man. I'm telling you, I'm going to blast it at you. So write it down and go back home. And the reason why is because this is a very debated, hot topic. And I don't want you to walk up in here and make a YouTube video of Wiley and stick it out there and say, Wiley said blah, blah, blah. No, I want you to say, well, Wiley, show me where the word says. Okay? And you can argue with what the word says on these things or whatnot. So First Thessalonians chapter 4, in verse 17, it says... Then we who are alive, Paul said when talking about Christ's return, when we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with those who have been raised from the grave in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Caught up. That's that word where rapture comes from. People say the word rapture is not in the Bible. No, the English word rapture is not. Much like no other English words. You have an English Bible, which is a translation of a Greek and Hebrew. So... All of the original Greek is there. All the original Hebrew is there. And the word rapture comes from that word to be caught up. Um, give you a few more verses. Hold your finger because you're going to look back down in a minute. But John 14, verse 2. Jesus said, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare you a place? I'm going to make a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I'll take you, same language, take you to myself, and where I am, you may be also. All right? doesn't say I'll join you on earth. It says I will come take you to this place I've prepared. So where does that fit into the timeline? Matthew 24, verse 37, Jesus talking again. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. As in those days before the flood, they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were giving in marriage right up to the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Quick note, these people are partying in a time when they think that everything is theirs for the taking. And they are living life however they feel like it. If you do believe in a tribulation time period... And it's in Revelation, whether you like that or not. It is a horrific, horrible time. Not a celebratory time of peace, love, and happiness and every other kind of thing. Um, So this may be a different event. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left behind. Same language. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake because you don't know on what day your Lord is coming. There it is again. But know this. The master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming. He would have stayed awake and he wouldn't have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. There's so much to mine out here, but I, but take it home and do it. I'm not trying to do that right now. I'm trying to get you just to see, would God do this rapture thing? Would he do it? So far, the language is pretty good to support that that might be something he would do. All right, look back at verse Thessalonians. Look in chapter 4. Again, back where we were, but let's look at verse 15 and come across that where we read earlier. 
For this we declare to you, Paul said, by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. That's a, uh, old te- a New Testament way of saying died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, this is all in the twinkling of an eye, this is all instantaneous. It's not like we're standing here seeing the dead float up in the sky while we wait. It's not that. It's all in a moment. The dead rise, and then those who are alive who are left will be caught up. There it is again, together with them, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord, therefore encourage each other. So this ought to be an encouraging thing. The reason I'm saying this ought to be an encouraging thing is because what we're going to read in Revelation may not sound so encouraging. All right, when we come to it. First Thessalonians 5, Chip, flip over a page. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace, there's security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they won't escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers. This day won't surprise you like a thief, for you're children of the light, children of the day. We're not children of the night or darkness. Look at verse 9. God has not destined us for wrath. His wrath. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are dead, asleep, or awake, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another once again with these words. One more truth here uh, from this text. Look in Second Thessalonians. Flip over. To the next letter, these are two letters that Paul wrote to a church in Thessalonica. That's why they're called this, just like a letter you would write. It were letters. It's become scripture, but they were letters. Second Thessalonians 2, he wrote another letter to this same little church that he started in Thessalonica. And in verse chapter 2 and verse 3, he wrote, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day, the, the coming of the Lord, will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness, that's a reference to the Antichrist we call him, or the beast, you'll see this in a minute, is revealed. In other words, made known. People now know who this person is. He is the son of destruction. These are Old Testament references to this person, Daniel predominantly. Verse 4. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So this guy is not going to be just anti-Christian. Every faith, every so-called God, did you see that? Every faith is going to have to bow to him. Muslims, Jews, Christians, Hindu, makes no difference. Everybody. And you know, now this is the key, you know what is restraining him now. So the Lord's not coming back, he says, until this guy is revealed and is demanding worship and is sitting in the temple and claiming himself to be God and forcing everybody to worship him. Jesus is not returning until that comes first. And he says, but what's restraining him now? Why he isn't loose now? Why isn't he revealed now? Look at verse 6. What is restraining him now so that he may not be revealed until his time? The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. 
And then this person will be revealed whom the Lord will kill with the breath of his mouth. That's Revelation 19. You'll see it in a minute. This is written decades before Revelation. And he'll bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So he's put a little timeline there for you. This person is being restrained by a what and a he. What is now restraining? He who is now restraining? What would fit that description? A what and a he who restrains? The Holy Spirit, the church, both. Can't have one without the other. The Holy Spirit is the church. The church is the collective carriers of the Holy Spirit. So, he's saying that that's going to be the case. That's who's restraining him. Even though evil's at work, evil is not cut loose and, and, and released because the Holy Spirit is present on earth through his church. But he's saying that that will be the case until he's removed. Well, if that's the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's removed and you're a believer but you don't go either, then you're not who you think you are. Because he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He said, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. So there's a picture here that's kind of hard to twist your way out of that there might be a removal of his church. So. Will people, if there is a rapture then, and I'm saying if because there's arguments. Everything I'm giving you today, people have arguments for both sides. You want to know where I lean? I'll go on and tell you. I've been on both sides of this fence in my Christian walk. Right now, I lean into is highly likely. It's about the way I'm going to leave it. I will not go to war with you. You want to sit down and prove me wrong? Don't waste your time because I'm okay with that I might be. I don't, I don't need to fight about it. I'm okay with that. But I lean into the camp that, yes, yeah, probably highly likely because there's a lot of scripture that seems to paint a picture here. But would people believe after that happens? Okay, well, when he's gone, if, they, if everybody suddenly disappears, of course I'll believe. No, you won't. There will be people that believe, but not because of that event. In fact, uh, the Bible tells in that time there'll be a famine of the word. There'll be an absence of the spirit of grace because the, the spirit is left. It's the spirit that convicts people to believe he's gone. That's not going to happen. Uh, look back in Second Thessalonians. Look back in chapter 2. The coming of the lawless one is by, this is verse 9, I'm sorry, verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked, all power, all signs, all false wonders, I mean, everything you can think of, wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that they may be condemned because they did not believe the truth of the gospel but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So even God will blind their eyes. If you think that people are going to suddenly believe if everybody vanishes, you're wrong. You're wrong. Jesus said, even if somebody came back from the dead, they won't believe. And he did. And they don't. So how's this guy then going to explain it? How would you explain the rapture then if if that occurs? Well, I've heard all my life all kinds of stories about that, like the aliens uh, or whatnot, every other kind of thing. Personal conviction from studying the word is that the beast, this this beast is going to use it to gain power by literally, I think, being honest. He's going to tell them God took them. And good riddance. We hate those thinking Christians. 
They stand on the corner with all these don't go to hell signs and repent and they won't let us have fun. They won't let us do anything. Thank goodness they're gone. I feel like this guy's probably going to say, I know him. I came from heaven. I know him. He's a liar. I've been greater than him from the start. I made him take them away. I don't know. He come up with anything he wants, but I don't think he's going to hide it. I think he's just going to jump on it. And I think he's going to blame God for abandoning us or he left us behind. Good riddance. Now we can build our own kingdom and do it our own way, however we want to do it. This beast person. We call Antichrist. By the way, Antichrist is only in the Bible three times, the word. It's all in 1 John. The word that's more common is beast, uh, pulled from the Old Testament and into the New. And so I use it more. So this beast is a, is a human being. He is empowered by the dragon, it tells us in Revelation, which is Satan. And he operates through the work of a second beast called a false prophet, also a person. So you have these two human persons who are empowered by the devil. This is all throughout Revelation. Uh, It's a picture of a false trinity. Father, Son, Spirit. The same thing. You have this beast, this dragon, and this uh, second beast or false prophet. And he's going to prove himself through miracles. And I know I'm giving you a lot, but that's okay. You can go read it. I'm giving you a lot because we need to get to the... Where we're coming to. So he's going to prove himself through miracles. He's going to do all kinds of amazing things so that the Bible says that, that, that even the, the, the believers in the day will be tempted to believe him because it's so amazing the things this guy is able to do and the miracles that he's able to produce. At the same time, God is pouring out wrath. All these horrors you read about in Revelation or you know about if you do from Revelation, the famines, the plagues, the global disasters, the waters turn into blood, the earthquakes, the meteor, all, all this, the hail, all these things, those are from God. That's, that's not just a bad world. That, those are from God. Bringing judgment on the earth. And I think, again, this guy is going to rise to power by continuing to say, see, he hates us. See, he hates us. He's trying to kill us. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about us. And things are going to get worse as this guy continues to take more and more authority on the earth. And people are going to be dying all over the earth. Billions, according to what the word says. So the global population is going to shrink greatly and probably begin to get more focused in certain areas. And this man is going to move into Jerusalem and he's going to anticipate Christ's return because he knows the word. Don't forget that. The devil knows the Bible, by the way. The devil's not blind. And, you, and if you think you understand it, I can promise you he understands it. He may not. He may believe he can change it, but he knows what it says. So this beast is going to begin to prepare for this army that Christ is building that he's anticipating because his word says it'll come. And there won't be a whole lot of people left, I don't think, but he'll gather what's left together. But unlike the thief in the night, the moment that we're now going to look at, the second coming is totally different. Totally different. This is not a secret removal, calling up, mysterious thing. This is a very... Globally visible moment. Look in Revelation 19 now. And we'll move through quickly here. Just the back end of the Revelation 19. Verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 11. 
John says, I saw heaven opened. Now, where is John, by the way, when he's seeing this? He's in heaven. So he's not seeing the sky and the heavens open from the earth. He's standing there around the throne and he's seeing earth from the vision, from the position of heaven. He's seeing heaven open towards the earth is what he's seeing. And behold, a white horse. Oh, and there's a white horse here, too, at the throne all of a sudden. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. Jesus said, I'm the way, the what? Truth and the life. Yep. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. You, you can wrestle with that one however you want to. There it is, black and white. His eyes are like a flame of fire. Same guy from chapter 1, verse 14. You can go back and look. That was Jesus. That's who we're looking at here. And on his head are many diadems. Diadem is that uh, Greek word for a king's crown. We talked about this last week. There's a Stephanos crown, which is the crown you would win if you won a race. This is not that kind of crown. This is the crown that a king inherits that belongs to him because he's a king, not because of anything he particularly did. He has all of them. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He came, it says he came the first time. What, what, what kind of crown did he get when he was here the first time? Thorns, right? Crown of thorns, not this time. He has many king's crowns. We might say king of kings. Crown's going to look different this time. There's a name. It says written, but only Jesus knows it. It doesn't say where it's written. It just says he has a name. It's written down, but only he knows it. Imagine that. How is it written down, but only he knows it? He's God too, right? How could the Father not know? How could the Spirit not? They're all the same. This is a picture of the Trinity, clear as day. Only he knows it. The name is written. That word written is in perfect tense, which means it's something that occurred in the past, and it completed an action that is still in effect. It was written in the past, but it's true right now, and it'll be true a billion years from now, whatever that name is. Verse 13. He's clothed in a robe that's dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. So first of all, he has a name no one knows. Now he's called the Word of God. The armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following on white horses, all victorious here. Nobody's marching. Everybody is on a symbol of victory. Verse 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword. Hebrews 4.12 Do you know what it calls a sharp sword, double-edged sword? The Word of God. The Word of God is a sharp, double-edged sword. And with it, he's going to strike down the nations. He'll rule them with a rod of iron. I don't know if you're getting the picture, guys, but this is no hippie Jesus. This is not Jesus is my homeboy moment. You know what I'm saying? That may have been one point, but this moment is not that person. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. That language is about as powerful and strong as you can see in the Bible. His weapon don't come from his hand. He's not carrying a sword in his hand. It's coming from his mouth. That sounds weird. But it's, it's all uniting the Bible. There's so many verses to point back to, but I'll just give you one. Isaiah 11.4 says, But with righteousness he'll judge the poor 
and you will decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Get that posture first. He's taken up for the broken. He's taken up for the weak. He's taken up for the meek. He's bringing righteousness and justice. This is not just about an overlord. This is about a, a savior and, and somebody bringing just. We all want it. Don't we? We want things to be right. That, that's what he's coming to do. And he'll strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he'll kill the wicked. How did he create the earth? Spoke it. Same power. John 18, verse 4. Jesus is uh, being arrested in the garden before he's about to go to the cross. And knowing that all these things would come to him, he came forward and he said to this crowd, Who is it you're looking for, this mob that's come to arrest him? Verse 5, they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. He used the name I am, which is the name of God from the Old Testament. But the power of his voice in this moment laid them out. And then he asked again and turned himself in. They didn't take him away. He made clear, I'm turning myself in. Because just answering their question knocked them on their Behind. It says he's clothed in blood. Now, this one's wild. This is when I get into the horror movie version of this thing. Blood, some say it's the blood of the saints because they're all dressed in white and he's covered in blood. And so it's the blood of the saints and they have his righteousness. That's a good uh, argument. Some say it's his own blood because it's the price of redemption. He paid in his own blood. Some say that. Some say it's the blood of his enemies. Uh, nobody really likes that one, but the truth of the matter is, if you connect the Bible, that's highly likely the imagery that's being put here. All of those things are true. He did die. His blood was the price of redemption. We are made clean by his blood. Um, Isaiah 63, 1 to 6, read it in your own time. Isaiah, just note it, Isaiah 63, 1 to 6, talks about the second coming and describes the Messiah as coming in a crimson red robe, which is covered in blood from, he says himself, from trampling his enemies in the wrath of God. So it's more than likely pointing John's mind, oh, this is the guy Isaiah was talking about on this horse. Same person. Same person. His first coming, he came on a donkey. To bear the wrath of God and be struck down for his enemies. For his enemies, guys. He was struck down for his enemies. You, me. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His second coming, though, he rides a white horse of a king, not a donkey. And he brings the wrath of God instead of bearing the wrath of God. And he strikes down his enemies. The wicked judged him, now he judges the wicked. Philippians 2, verse 10, everybody knows it, but you need to let this fit in your head a minute. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Think about the weight of that considering what he's seeing. Every being every piece of creation will affirm who he is. Every one of them, even the person you think hardest to reach one day is going to affirm who he is. 
Look at verse 16, Revelation 19, almost done. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. The first time there was a sign, too, on the cross, King of the Jews, but it was mockery, right? Not now. These uh, are ready for battle. They're lined up in formation in heaven. They're preparing to enter the earth with their king. And don't think about flying horses coming down from outer space. Like, yeah, I don't know what you're picturing. It's hard to picture this. But the Hebrew people saw heaven as another dimension, not like outer space. Like, like almost as if it's present and they would just step through. Like there's a rip in what you see and armies just come in. Now there's language of descending and that, and I get that. So that's part of it too. And I can't describe for you what this looks like, but I know I'm going to see it. I know I'm going to see it. One side or the other, I'm going to see it. All right? Look at verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. Uh, It doesn't mean he's literally in the sun. It means the sun is behind him, so it's hard to even focus on him. The same sun that we see. So this is on earth. This angel is, is visible but hard to look at because the sun is shining directly behind him. And with a loud voice, he called out to all the birds that are flying overhead, directly overhead. So not all the birds in the world, but all the birds that are above this moment. Come gather for the great supper of the Lord to eat the flesh, human beings, of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both slave and great, or small and great. Well, who's he talking about? Well, he tells you, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies. This is on earth, human people gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. This is another reason why I believe the beast will just outright tell the truth about rapture or whatever, because he's trying to gather an army knowing he's going to face Jesus. And if none of these people believe that there is anything supernatural in the world, then it's going to blow their mind when this happens. But if they're prepared for that, if he's shown them signs and miracles and wonders and all that and has convinced them that this army's coming and that they can beat them, then they're going to line up. And that's exactly what happens. But this angel says to the beasts, come prepare to eat the flesh of the dead. Like this is a gruesome moment in a sense. Revelation 1 verse 7, we talked about it last week. He's coming with the clouds and every eye will see them, even those who pierced him, the Jews, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. It may be the only people left on the earth at that time have now concentrated all into one area, almost like after the flood. Everybody was concentrated in one area, and they ended up building the Tower of Babel. God confused their languages and scattered them. Maybe, maybe, I don't know, but maybe if you read the destruction, it tells you the numbers of people that are going to die. It will be in the billions So it may be that people by this time have gathered around this beast in this central Middle Eastern area, maybe, and that they can all see this moment happen. Genesis 3.15, this is the key tie all the way back to the very beginning when Adam and Eve sinned and God was judging them, giving them the death that they chose. He also made a promise that we have followed through his word for nearly two years now. That promise is, I will put Jesus, or well, yeah, Jesus, but God telling Satan, I'll put war between you 
and the woman between specifically your offspring singular and her offspring singular. And we've talked about that before. I won't dig into it now. But here potentially is this moment. Uh, this seed of the devil facing off with the seed of God. The seed of woman in this instance. Mary's son, Jesus. Facing off against this beast. Uh, I think it is. I think it's been pictured throughout Scripture. When would be another time when this would be pictured? How about David and Goliath? Nearly identical. King, young boy, David, full of faith in God, representing the lineage that would become the, the throne of Christ. That this man, with all the armies behind him, went alone to fight. And conquered the champion, and when he did, the armies came rushing down. But he faced this one champion, Goliath, all by himself. And in fact, if you read it, the language even talks about calling the birds to come eat the dead. I mean, it's it's very similar language. Ezekiel 39 has very similar, similar language. Revelation 19, let's finish it. Verse 20. And the beast was captured. No detail of the war whatsoever. Anticlimactic, man. No, No war. Instant defeat. Instant defeat. And with it, the false prophet who was in his presence and had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received this mark of the beast. Just means they had associated themselves with him. We don't got to dig deeper than that. And those who worshipped its image. These two living people were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. The first two people to enter what we call hell. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Ultimately, they will all have the same destiny as the first two. We'll talk about that a little bit next week. But let me finish with this, y'all. Hell is not just a figurative thing. Jesus himself spoke on hell more than love. He did. Go back and read it. I give you just a verse. Matthew 23, 33. He said, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Decades before Revelation, Paul wrote this. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6. Since indeed, indeed God considers it just to repay. Let's just hold on a minute with that. God considers it just to repay. With affliction, those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When? When when is he going to do that? Well, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his angels. We just read it. Inflaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who don't know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day... To be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at by all those who have believed. Do you see the picture? He sees it as just to do that. He sees it as just to do that. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this, man? It is, it, you'd be like, man, I thought second coming's a great thing. Like, why, why is this so heavy? It is a great thing because it's a just thing. He's the beginning of his reign on earth, and he's bringing it with justice. He's bringing 
justice. But what do we do? What do we do with this now? Like, so start trying to be holy. Start trying to get ready for it. No, 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 no. No, no, no. You're made holy by his righteousness only. So, so that, ain't, that ain't what you need to do. I'll tell you what you need to do. This will be the last thing I show you. Acts 1, verse 10, all the disciples are looking up in the sky when Jesus is ascending. And while the disciples were gazing into heaven in the sky as Jesus went, behold, two men, angels, stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way he went. Translation, he told you what to do. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm with you always. Stop staring at the sky. He's going to come again. Get to work. Not trying to be better, but understanding that you don't want the people you love to face that day. Unless they know him and love him. You follow what I'm saying? You need to get busy sharing the gospel and making disciples, particularly among those you love that don't know him. Because if you believe God's word and if you believe in Jesus, then you better know that day is coming. That day is coming. And it's an exciting day. But it's also a real day. Know what I'm saying? You guys, we're going to stand up and we're going to pray. I'm going to give you a few minutes to reflect on this and to think about it. Listen, if you want to pray, man, you want to turn around and hit your knees in your seat, you can. If you want to come down here and pray with me, you can. Here's the good news, man. That day, it says he comes with all of his saints. Man, you can be among those. You can be among those. You don't have to be the one that faces the red robe of blood. You can be the one on the white horse alongside him, celebrating his kingdom come. And that comes through giving your life to him. Let me let me pray. Lord, I, I don't know who's here today. I, I know a lot of people. I don't know everybody. But God, I know that you know every soul in this room. And Lord, if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray they get it right today. I know this is a heavy passage, and but it's your word. I'm, I'm not adding anything to it. I'm just reading it. It's your word, and I pray that it affects people today. Me too. It's affected me already. It's got me filled with a heavy heart, not in fear of you, but, Lord, in, in fear for people I love. Lord, don't let that burden be left in this room. Lord, please let me carry it so that I begin to open my mouth more and more. And I pray that for those who are here too. Lord, if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, hasn't given their life to you, hasn't put their faith in you, that you are who you say you are, that you are alive, and that you are coming, and that that cross was enough for my sin. Lord, if there's anybody in this room who's never told you that, I pray they do it today. Lord, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.